Welcome to Tonebenders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's take a listen. Here are your hosts, Dustin, Timothy, and Renee. Batteries not included. Hello and welcome to Tonebenders. I'm Timothy Muirhead, and you can contact me via Twitter at AzimuthAudio. It's summertime, and there's nothing better than getting out in nature and leaning up against a tree in the shade or lying down on the beach with a good book while the breeze cools you down. Since we are all audio heads, we tend to read a lot of sound-related books in these situations. So this Soundbites episode of the podcast will be a bit of a summer reading guide to a few of the many books out there relating to the world of sound. We have two brand new interviews for you, and then a few quick clips from some of the authors that have been previous guests of the podcast. If you are an avid reader of sound books, don't forget to enter our contest going on right now to win one of two copies of Vanessa Amont's great book, The Foley Grail. To enter, all you have to do is go to our SoundCloud page for either this episode or for our previous episode, 23, which featured a tour of Footstep Studios, and leave a comment. It would be great if your comment could be a suggestion for other good reads for the audio professional. Two winners will be chosen at random and contacted. Time is running out, though, so enter now. First up will be Rob Bridget, who wrote the book Game Audio Culture. Rob was kind enough to sit down for a quick interview with me recently. We started off learning about Rob's path into the audio industry. I've been working in video games now for about, I guess it's 14 years coming up. Um, started out as a recording engineer uh, at a company called Matinee in Reading. That was an awesome company. Got to work on my first video game there, which was Vanishing Point for the Dreamcast. Uh, I did sound sound effects on that, and um, from there I started working at a company in London called Antenna Audio, which was uh, again another awesome place to work. It was uh, the little devices that you carry around in art galleries and museums, and uh, working on all the content and the sound design for that, as well as recording dialogue and mixing uh, mixing these things. So from there I worked at Climax Entertainment in the UK for two years, I think, on a variety of games, and uh, after that I made the leap over to the west coast of Canada uh, to work at Radical Entertainment, where I was uh, I was there for uh, I think five years uh, working on Scarface uh, game, and then briefly trip back to the uh, UK to work on the 50 Cent Blood in the Sand, which was like one of the best projects ever, um, and then back to Vancouver to work on Prototype Prototype Two. Yeah, just recently I'm now on the east coast of uh, Canada, uh, a little island called Newfoundland, Newfoundland. I still don't know how to say it properly. I've been here for almost two years. Um, and yeah, I'm working uh, at a small indie developer, uh, really focusing on um, games for pre-kindergarten and kindergarten kids. Um, you know, totally different to the sort of AAA stuff. So, so it's you know, it's it's really different. I mean, the small team stuff is working out great. Um, a lot of the ideas in the book sort of come from you know being involved in both large-scale development and small-scale development, and sort of seeing what one can learn from the other, or what works and what doesn't work in uh, in each of those uh, in each of those different scenarios. So, yeah, I think that I think that background, uh, particularly the uh, the small team and the and the AAA size teams, that sort of uh, that sort of background has been really useful and really informative to uh, to uh, writing the book. So yeah, I, d- I guess I'd describe myself as a as an audio director, uh, sound designer, 
uh, sound implementer and uh, um, yeah, composer on the side. But uh, I'd never, I'd never say I was a composer. But uh, I, I approach com composition in the same way I'd approach sound design, actually, which is uh, which is just to try something and see if it works. And um, yeah. <laughs> So what made you write Game Audio Culture? So I think one of the most fundamental aspects of sound design for uh, video games or for a movie or any kind of collaborative medium uh, is that of collaboration itself. And one of the things you always hear, sound design, you know, very good sound design is something that's really well integrated with the look and feel of the game or it's incredibly tightly uh, orchestrated with the um, with the timing in the game or with the presentation uh, those kind of aspects uh, this isn't something that just kind of happens because you have a lot of time at the end of a project to just do whatever kind of sounds or effects that you want to on a on a project so for me this 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 idea of uh, all the sound work being done at the end in this kind of you know nice studio setting or it's it's a very focused thing that happens after all the rest of the production is in place. My experience told me that that just never happens, and if you wait till the end, you just you're just scrambling and you have no time at all to do any of this stuff to get it working, let alone to a high quality standard. So over the years, I've Notice that the the sooner you get involved in, you know, design meetings or production meetings, right at right at the very beginning, even before, uh, you know, even before there is a project, um, as part of the planning stages or part of the the genesis of any project, um, to have sound as part of those a sound person as part of those meetings, um, as fully involved as say an art director or a design director, um, on, you know. Just, just coming up with the tone and the idea uh, behind a game, behind uh, what what this thing needs to do, or what it, uh, what would be fun. You know, those are the most exciting meetings to be in. Actually, um, they're also frustrating. You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, throwaway work. You'll get invested. You'll get really excited about lots of different ideas, and you know, then uh, a lot of those will get thrown away. Um, but I think getting in early and being a uh, being known as a collaborator um, is is really fundamental to uh, to game development. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the film side of this uh, collaborative uh, notion has been sort of covered covered quite extensively by uh, people like Randy Tom and Gary Rydstrom, and there's, there are a lot of articles out there and a lot of writing out there by by these guys that sort of you know, describe how it might work better in film. With video games being such a unique development environment, there really are there really are a lot a lot of differences in the way that games are made compared to the way films are made, both politically, hierarchically, as well as uh, technologically. So, I I always wish I could have read something, or I had something to read which sort of, you know, described ways in which. In video games, you can get involved earlier, and you could be a part of that process. And really, really, the book is sort of a, a collection of hints and tips and tricks and all this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, and again, really, really, it's written, you know, rather selfishly that I might remember this stuff and something that I can come back to and you know 
not forget the lessons that I've learned on on projects and so on. But of course, really, it's uh, really it's my hope is to share this uh, with the with the game audio community. Not only the game audio community, but the the wider game development community itself as well. Um, so I mean, this this really isn't a book for sound designers. It's uh, it's more a book for. Uh, for game developers, that's that's the way I'd I'd sort of pitch it if I uh, if I had to pitch it. So really, the book is as much about social interaction with other departments as it is about actually hitting record. One of the main things that comes out of the book is um, there's this uh, quote from Randy Tom in, in a Designing Sound article, I believe, uh, where he's just one line and he says that he's asked what is the daily work of a sound designer and he says that it's 30 his his day is 33 percent uh technical 33 percent artistic or craft um based and the other 33 percent is uh what he called client relations or human relations and um yeah it really struck a chord that one sentence and the the there's a big piece in the book about how that breakdown that 33 33 33 can be applied to if you're a single sound designer that's you know that's the sort of balance of the the work day or the work week or the the project work that uh, you should be kind of aiming for um if you have a, a small team you can balance it out so that one one person is very technical one person handles the craft and the artistic side of things the, the more sound designy maybe yeah maybe one's more implementation another's more uh design sound design and then you need a, you need that third part the missing piece is the uh the collaborative uh element as well so the ability to communicate with the team uh back and forth to take feedback and to apply that feedback to uh to the sound design itself so yeah i think i think that expanding that idea upwards as it were uh does feature heavily in the book what has been the reaction to the book so far i mean the guys over at the game audio podcast have been really positive and uh and and given great feedback to me on this and um you know um a lot of this stuff has uh surfaced in a minor way in sort of articles and so on before this so you know i knew i was kind of on the on the right track with this stuff um again i, I don't really think there's a book anywhere out there yet in video game development that even tries to tackle this subject so it's difficult to sort of gauge uh any any success or what success it has i mean once you put a book out there it sort of it sort of disappears and um you know, I put a previous book out uh, two or three years ago as well, and um, you know, it's it's sort of it pops up every now and again, and someone's read it, and someone enjoyed it, or I get an email, or, and so on, and uh, yeah, it's almost like you write it. It's like it's like shipping a game. It's you 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 get it done, you put it out there. You have this you have this great sort of anticipation that's going to do great, and uh, then it kind of disappears and um, you sort of forget about it. But then every every now and then it's still out there, you know. And, and as long as it's still out there, I think people people will still manage to get something out of it. So um, yeah, some uh, some definitely some positive reactions there. If you liked what you heard from Rob, you can get the book Game Audio Culture from Blurb.com. It comes in either downloadable PDF or as a soft cover. You can also find Rob's previous book, From the Shadows of Film Sound, which is another great read.
Next up is Rick Veers. We all know Rick from his crazy interns videos at his studio, The Detroit Chop Shop. He is also the owner of Blast Wave Effects and the author of two books, The Sound Effects Bible and The Location Sound Bible. I was able to track him down at the 2014 NAB show in Las Vegas, so please excuse the wallow in the background as we talk. I asked him how the idea came together to write the SFX Bible. At the Detroit Chop Shop, over the years I'd put together a manual of do's and don'ts, which is kind of why I called it the Bible, because I had commandments. I'm like, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And at first, the list was for myself, because you know I didn't go to school to be a sound designer. There was, I don't even think when I, at the time I went to school, there was no such thing as a sound design degree. So I went to the school of hard knocks, man. I, I made a lot of mistakes, and I learned from those mistakes. And so, I don't know if that's like the right way to do it or not. You know, I mean, I would have rather somebody told me right off the, right off the bat, this is probably not going to work. Try this instead. But it, for me, it was just a matter of just trial and error. People think mistakes are bad. I disagree. There's no such thing as a bad experience as long as you learn from it. You know what I mean? If you don't learn from it, then it was a bad experience. You know what I mean? But it's like whatever doesn't kill you. You know, it makes you stronger. So, um, so I just kept a log of you know this worked, that worked. You know. Well, that was the start, was I took out my, my manual and um, I said, okay, this is probably gonna be the core for the book. The hardest part of the book was the outline. Because my goal was for somebody who knew absolutely nothing about sound to be able to grab the book and by the time they got to the back cover, be able to go out and you know record something and edit it. Which meant if they knew nothing about microphones, I had to give them like just a crash course in how a microphone worked and you know, they knew nothing about signal flow. Okay, here's some general ideas there recording, etc., recorders. But once I had the outline done, it was just a matter of fleshing it out. I mean, I kind of knew what I was talking about, so it was just a matter of, okay, do this, then talk about this, then talk about that. And now it took a lot of, you know, rearranging, and so that it, I couldn't talk about recorders until I talked about microphones, because you have to know how the audio, you know, the audio signal and where it was going to end up before, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, so that book was relatively easy certainly relative to the Location Sound Bible. Location Sound Bible was a complete different animal. It took me four times as long to write because there's just, and there's a lot more information. But, you know, you've got guys that are out there doing, you know, corporate sit-down interviews, and then you got guys that are out there doing features, and you got reality show guys, and you got guys that are just one-man bands. So there was like so much more stuff to cover, and my goal was, I didn't care what you were gonna do, you know, what project you were working on, I just wanted you to be able to find something, some kind of take home from the book. And so then I had to figure out just like any practical use for location sound, you know, guys that are doing, you know, uh, a webcast somewhere, guys that are, you know, again, doing a sit down interview, one man band, all that kind of stuff. So that was definitely, definitely a challenge. You wanna know why I wrote the book? It's because 10 years into my career, I was still looking for books on sound effects because, you know, again, I don't, I don't even care that I wrote the book. I still won't know it all. I'm always learning new stuff, you know, and I'm always looking to, to learn new stuff. So, you know, 10 years into my career, I'm still looking for re resources, you know, ideas, tips, tricks, or anything. And um, it's probably a little too much information, but, you know, I'm in the bathroom. I'm having a moment, you know, I'm seated on the throne. And I'd gotten a book about sound design and, and it, it had a chapter on sound effects. I'm like, okay, well, let's check this out. And it was really superficial, very brief, and it wasn't what I was looking for. And I'm like, holy Christmas, man. Like, nobody's gonna write about this stinking topic. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. If no one's gonna write about it, I'll just do it myself. You know what I mean? And whether or not it's good, at least it's documented. At least it's a starting point. And then if you know, if somebody thinks they got a better book to write, they can go off and do their thing. So that was the whole idea was, no one else has done it. I'll just be the guy to start it. And boom, did it.
Both the Sound Effects Bible and the Location Sound Bible are available through MWP.com. The second guest we ever had on the podcast was Paul Verostek, and he turned out to be one of our favorites. Paul is a seemingly endless source of knowledge on field recording and the art of metadata for sound libraries. As a featured guest way back in episode four, Paul filled us in on his ebook, Field Recording from Research to Rap. So the book is called Field Recording from Research to Rap, and basically it was started because I kept on getting similar emails from people who were reading the blog and they said, Paul, is there any books that you can recommend that talk about field recording specifically? And I didn't really know of any. There's a lot, of course, a lot of great books already on studio recording and mixing and that kind of thing. But I feel field recording is a little bit different, just in the challenges that you face and the way that you perceive sound. So I kind of thought about it and I thought, well, why not you know, try and put some of my thoughts down on paper? And so I wrote introducing field recording to people who are interested but maybe don't have that much experience. It's not really intended for uh, pros who have been doing it for years. It's more meant as an introduction. So if you're interested, you want to know what happens during field recording, what it's about, and how you can go through a shoot. It takes you from step to step, starting with researching and scouting, contacting talent, and then it moves you right into the session. What happens when you're in the place where you're shooting, whether it's you know, a car shoot or, you know, an atmosphere, what you do for sound isolation, and then how you wrap up. And it also has a section on common problems that people new to field recording might experience, like noise, hum, dealing with security, dealing with curious people when you're trying to be inconspicuous, and trying to remain creative. So uh, I try and cover it all in a very simple, straightforward manner so that someone who's curious and wants to know more and wants to see if field recording is for them or wants to explore how they can grow their own craft of field recording, how they can do that. You can get Paul's book through his site, creativefieldrecording.com. If you find yourself with some free time, his whole site is just about as valuable a source of information as any of the books we are talking about today. Next up, we talk to Gordon Hampton. He was a guest on episode 16. Gordon's episode is consistently listed as a listener favorite, as he is a compelling and passionate speaker. The same can be said about his writing. His book, One Square Inch of Silence, One Man's Quest to Preserve Quiet, is not about technique necessarily, but it will change the way you look at the sounds you record, as well as how you record them. He told us about the project when he was on the show. One Square Inch of Silence. It is a book, but it's also a real place. I've been listening to all these quiet places vanish. There were 23 in Washington State in 1989. There are only three today. And and I've thought that it's somebody else's job. I'm the sound tracker. It's not my job to save these places. But I was so filled with gratitude that my hearing was coming back. I just said, you know, it's not somebody else's job. I'm going to take personal responsibility for this. And I hiked up one of my favorite places, the Ho Valley Rainforest in Olympic National Park. It's a World Heritage Site, a biosphere reserve. There's every reason why it should be a quiet place. And in fact, it's the quietest, uh, least intruded upon by noise of any other area in the lower 48. And I put down a stone and uh, about three and a half miles up the trail, 
I put down a stone and I promised that I would defend this single one square inch from all human-caused noise intrusion. Gordon's book is available through Atria Books. There's also a great documentary film about Gordon that is worth checking out called The Soundtracker. You can get that from SoundtrackerTheMovie.com. In the same episode as Gordon's interview, we also talked to Marshall Chasen, who wrote the book Hear the Music. In the book, Marshall focuses on what we can do to maintain hearing health. So 85 decibels is not all that loud, but it turns out that we can be exposed to 85 decibels for 40 hours a week, and we'll have, let's say, a certain damage after a year or two. This is not after a week or two, this is a year or two. 85 decibels for 40 hours is identical to 88 decibels for only 20 hours a week, 91 decibels for only 10 hours a week, 94 for only 5 hours a week, and so on. For every 3 decibel increase, it doubles your damage. Or equivalently, if we can reduce the noise by 3 decibels, which is really barely detectable, um, we've one-halfed your damage. So you can be exposed to 100 decibels at a rock concert for an hour or two a week, and that's okay. Just don't go and mow your lawn the next day. So there's a dosage or a, a trade-off. We, in fact, call this a trading relationship between 3 decibels and the um, duration. The best part about Marshall's book is that it's free. You can download it from his site, marshallchasenassociates.ca. Go to the Articles tab, and you'll find it there. Finally, we will circle back to the book that we are featuring in our current contest, The Foley Grail by Vanessa Amon. This is the second edition of the book, and it was just released. Vanessa was our guest for episode 18, and she told us some of the new features in this updated edition. I have an entire chapter interview that I did with Charles Deenan, who was the one that designed the first sound driver in games, and then went and worked with EA Games, and he's the one that changed the whole nature of sound for games to make it very theatrical. And I talk about how you do Foley for games, and then I talk about how Foley is different in animation, so I have those chapters. And then I have a chapter on recipes, on very specific things that you need to do for basic recipes and basic props and things that you need to do in a recipe sort of chapter. And another thing is I've expanded the Foley Stage 1 about all the different ways people have put together spaces for Foley Stages in addition to the basic way you do one if you're going to do it the way we do it in Hollywood. I talk about all these alternative ways people have put together stages that are really interesting. You can enter to win a copy of the Foley Grail by leaving a comment on our SoundCloud page for either episode 23 or this episode, and you will be automatically entered to win one of the two copies we are giving away. If you want, you can leave suggestions of other great reads for audio pros in your comment. If you are not one of the lucky winners, you can get your own copy of the Foley Grail 2nd Edition from Focal Press. You can find links to all of the books we've talked about at ToneBenders.net. By no means are the books we have talked about here an exhaustive list of the greatest audiobooks, but they are all well worth your time. I'm currently reading the book The Essential Guide to Game Audio by Steve Horowitz and Scott R. Looney. As a guy who's only dipped his toe into the world of game audio, it has been a great read so far. It starts off with the most basic of basics and builds from there. If you are looking to make a shift in focus from TV and film sound into the game audio world, this would be an excellent starting point. Actually, between The Essential Guide to Game Audio and Rob Pridget's book, Game Audio Culture, you'd be well on your way to navigating the world of sound for games. Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Adele Young for letting us bend and twist her voice on the bumpers. You can follow the show on Twitter via at the ToneBenders, go to ToneBendersPodcast.com, or find us on SoundCloud, Facebook, or YouTube under ToneBenders Podcast. We'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening.
Thanks for listening to Turnbenders. Find us online at turnbenders.net where you can see our archives and leave a comment or a tip. If you listen on iTunes, please write us a review while you're there. Follow us on Twitter at the Turnbenders or email us at dc, timothy or renee at turnbenders.net.